Welcome to Atlas Apollyia. This is Aleko, and I hope you're doing well. First off, all glory to Christ. Second, we want to ask that if you enjoy our podcast, that you share it with others, as that's how we grow. Third, if you want to sign up to our mailing list, where we can bring you into the vault for our book club, please head over to idcpodcast.co. That's right, we're still using our same old URL. Time is short, and God allowing, I'll be able to switch that URL soon. But for now, eh, it's there, and we can still use it. Finally, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can head over to buymeacoffee.com forward slash Atlas Podcast, and there you can buy us a coffee and help to support the many more hours, weeks, and potentially even years of research that goes into our work. All right, let's get into the topic. So I was sent an article by Maria Sanchez on SaveOurSchoolsMarch.org. The article discusses the contentious issue of incorporating religious education into public schools, highlighting several compelling arguments against such integration. So first off, it emphasizes the United States constitutional principle of the separation of church and state. And I want to make very clear here that while the context is the United States, this particular topic is tethered to the world at large. So bear with me. Now, the legal arguments for removing religious education from school stress the importance of maintaining neutrality in education to uphold students' intellectual freedom and prevent discrimination against minority faiths. The article is quite lengthy, and I recommend you read it as it's somewhat interesting. But even in light of the legal ground that Sanchez stands on, and fairly, I would say, I question, have we thrown out the baby with the bathwater here? We have 62 years worth of data, at least in the United States, to suggest that this is indeed the case. Why 62? I'll get to that toward the end. There are a couple of points that I believe are worth bringing up. Most youths, and people in general, have a natural inclination to eat. And many nations across the world, perhaps not as much North America, harness and guide that appetite toward positive habits. Many people have had some type of health education class where we're taught about macronutrients and micronutrients and their role in the body. And in a lot of countries, good foods are actually put in front of the students so that they make great choices. And I'm going to exclude America from this one. I I went to high school in Las Vegas and I went to elementary school as well as junior high, and uh, no, there were there were no foods that were nutritious that were put in front of us. But we were taught about macronutrients and micronutrients and their role in the body. I also know that my brother, who grew up in Greece, had great foods put in front of him, and he was taught good eating habits, as well as my pals who are from the UK, as well as France, as well as China and Vietnam. There's a lot of great foods that are being put in front of these kids to promulgate good eating habits and healthiness and nutrition. Youths also have a natural inclination toward sex when they reach a certain age. And up until maybe a decade or two ago, for better or for worse, schools at least attempted to bottleneck that desire in some way into a healthy habit. Now, I'm not saying I agree with uh, public school sex education, but what I am saying is they acknowledge that it is something that is innate within humans and that something has to be done about it. 
Now, I'm not going to go down the path of how much that is spiraled out of control in the West. And and I don't really believe that that belongs to the school, that that's something that public schools should be teaching. Because even from a multi-religious, multicultural standpoint, many regions of the world acknowledge that there's something deeply spiritual about sex and you could easily omit sex education from school on those grounds alone. But that's a different topic altogether. Point is, schools or the government in general acknowledge that youths have a natural inclination toward eating, have a natural inclination toward sex at a certain age, and there are many human tendencies that we observe which come naturally to us like the natural human tendency to quantify things. What temperature does water need to reach before it freezes? How many people died in World War II? We have the need for social interaction, or at least many of us do. And, of course, schools attempt to promote good, healthy social habits. And, of course, I know I'm leaving many out, but another one that came to mind as I was jotting down my notes would be the desire to be better at any undertaking. During my time as a teacher, I noticed that even students who were not particularly good or maybe didn't care that much in class, if approached the right way, did get competitive. Most people, not all, but most people have the desire to be better in some way. And many school systems at least attempt to harness and guide this natural drive. But among all of the natural tendencies that humans are inclined to pursue. There is one that seems as if it is almost universally rejected by many public school systems. Not just rejected, but shamed and criticized heavily. It seems to me that the earliest and most natural inclination in young children, according to all available evidence, is the inclination to believe in God. Oxford University professor Oliviera Petrovich says that Children's innate ability to believe in God suggests that atheism is something that must be imposed on a child. Bruce Hood, a professor of developmental psychology, studied the beliefs of children in the United Kingdom and found something very similar. Deborah Kellerman, a professor of psychology at Boston University, believed evolved components of the human mind tended to lead people toward religiosity early in life. Kellerman found that even highly trained scientists are unable to fully rid themselves of the built-in impression that there is purpose underlying the living world. According to her, even though advanced scientific training can reduce acceptance of scientifically inaccurate teleological explanations, it cannot erase a tenacious, early emerging human tendency to find purpose in nature. Whether her materialistic presupposition will stand up to scrutiny remains to be seen, but her observation clearly affirms the universality and power of this design intuition. Paul Bloom, professor of psychology and director of the Mind and Development Lab at Yale University, says that the universal themes of religion are not learned, they emerge as byproducts of the mind. They are systems that are inseparable parts of our human nature. Justin Barrett, for the Center of Anthropology and Mind at Oxford University, concluded that our basic cognitive equipment biases us to certain types of thinking, such as pre-life, afterlife, higher power, and invisible beings who are in control of things. Barrett's work in his 2012 book, Born Believers, The Science of Children's Religious Belief, can be summarized as such. Number one, cognitive preparedness for religion. 
Barrett suggests that humans may be cognitively predisposed to develop religious beliefs. He argues that certain cognitive mechanisms evolved to facilitate the development and transmission of religious concepts. Intuitive theism, number two. Barrett has proposed that the concept of intuitive theism suggests that belief in supernatural agents and divine entities is a natural and intuitive aspect of human cognition. He explores how children, even without explicit religious instruction, tend to develop beliefs in supernatural beings. Alison Gopnik, psychology professor at UC Berkeley and prominent atheist activist, noted that by elementary school age, children start to invoke an ultimate godlike designer to explain the complexity of the world around them, even children brought up as atheists. As noted by Dr. Douglas Axe, humans from a young age have the innate instinct to see reality as God's creation, and it is indoctrination that causes them to believe otherwise. So obviously this is a very superficial smattering, and we haven't even begun to breach the science. I leave these here as breadcrumbs so that perhaps you as Bereans can go out and discover for yourself and not take my word for anything. I will ask, however, at the very end of this conversation, assuming that we are hardwired to believe in God and that it was a material condition, not built in by a supernatural being, what environmental condition might bring that about? It's the same question I ask about near-death experiences. What environmental condition would cause that type of mutation and that type of evolution? Surely every person being built with this type of belief system and there not being any God to support it would make us severe evolutionary liabilities. Now, I mentioned 62 years worth of data just a few minutes ago, so let me expand on that for just a moment. Since 1963... In the United States, there has been an over 500% increase in violent crime, a 300% increase in single-parent homes, the most common statistic tethered to violent crime, unfortunately, and poverty as well in the U.S., according to FBI.gov, an over 200% increase in teenage suicide, and a 75% drop in SAT scores. These metrics all seem to have originated the year after the United States Supreme Court declared school-sponsored prayer and Bible readings unconstitutional. Coincidence? In my opinion, coincidence disintegrates in the face of timing. <laughs>